Welcome back. Hello. Hello. This is part two of our two-part series of Zach Bowen and Addie Hall. I'm so ready for this. We left on such a massive cliffhanger. I know. That I can't not hear the rest of it. I know. So if you are brand new here, go back and at least listen to part one of this. Otherwise, you shall be confused. If you're... We're not here to tell you how to live your life, though. So you do whatever you want to do. But if you don't want to be confused... Harry, and when Harry met Sally, always reads the last page of his books first, lest he die before he finishes it. True. <laughs> so if that's if that's how you want to roll, then that's we're not going to stop you. Exactly. Otherwise, if you've already listened to part one, then let's just jump right back in. Yeah. Let's not draw this out any longer than we need to. Right. Okay. But also, do we know us? That's all we do. Right. I'm doing it as we speak. We're doing, you're doing it now. Yeah. Um, so stop that. Okay, sorry, let's, sorry, sorry. Let's move on. I'm sorry. So where we left off was Zach and Addie finally got together. I keep on, I'm sorry, Zach and Addie, but I think Zach and Miri make a porno. <laughs> mm-hmm. No? Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Zach and Addie. Sure. Uh, finally got together, but then Hurricane Katrina hit. Yikes. Yikes. So one would think that being stranded during a horrific storm like Hurricane Katrina would be taxing on a new relationship right you would think but for zach and Addie, it was like their own little paradise they loved it so they rode out the storm that night together and then the next morning they get up and the french quarter didn't flood like everything else in the city did it, it was actually essentially not touched so they walk out and it's just like they have the whole city to themselves is what it feels like Wow. Because everything is just empty. And they were totally just unaware, you know, of just around them, all of the damage. The devastation was severe. Over 1,800 lives were lost between, like, Louisiana and Mississippi along the coast. Um, Over 800,000 housing units were damaged or destroyed. Over 60,000 people had to be rescued. The storm gained steam so quickly and winds were so strong that it completely overcame the levees the city had in place for flooding, some of them being wiped out completely. And even though half the city was above sea level, the average elevation of New Orleans sits six feet below sea level. And then with the levees being compromised, but I mean, it was no match. Yeah, like, I did not have a chance. There's no way. And because those levees failed or were destroyed, 80% of the city was submerged. Most of the flooding was about 10 feet high, and in some areas it was higher than that, and it took weeks to recede. During that time, there was looting, significant increase in violent crime, people doing whatever they could to survive. Um, They said it wasn't uncommon to just, if you walk down the street, to see a body laying there, um, bodies floating by in the water. I remember seeing this on the news. Yes, it was awful but it's amazing to me like hearing all of that information and like putting it into 80 percent of the city and it was this high like i didn't realize the magnitude of it exactly yeah exactly um and a lot of people i mean permanently were displaced from there they had to just live elsewhere i mean because so much was lost and um i think at that time it was a little while after that but i started working at a salon in town and uh, two cardiologists that now, well, one of them's passed away, but um, came from New Orleans and are now at the hospital here or were, but they had to leave because of that. It's like 
so many people just started having to go elsewhere because of that. And it was just because it took so long to rebuild the city and it all happened so fast. It's just insane. It is amazing, though, the resilience of a city because Mm -hmm. I've been since then twice. Twice. And it's amazing. I mean, you know, obviously those wounds are still there. I mean, people who survived it. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, the city will never be the exact same, but it's amazing how much they've been able to rebuild. Yeah, for sure. And they did say that a lot of people that went through that hurricane now have PTSD. I -hmm. mean, it's, you know, I couldn't imagine going through something like that. It's super, so scary. It's devastating. Yeah, absolutely. And they said that if you went out in the city during that time, you had to be in a group. It was too dangerous to go somewhere alone. You could not try to go to a store um by yourself you would get attacked probably and there was one grocery store i think that the guy was basically like do i want to try to lock it up and get robbed or do i want to just open it up and let people come get whatever they want because it's going to happen anyway so that's what he did and zach and addy got like three months worth of food from that one haul essentially and the post-Katrina, like, state of New Orleans was almost, like, post-apocalyptic. Like, if you saw pictures of areas that weren't flooded, it looked like a scene from The Walking Dead where just, like, cars were just on the highway and, like, yeah. there's just nobody there. Ugh, that is so scary. Yeah. And eerie. It, yes, very eerie. And Zach and Addie thrived. They loved it because they didn't have real responsibilities anymore. Zach didn't have any contact with his kids or his wife. He, they were, you know, there's like, they lost power for so long, communications were down, all these kind of things, but he basically told them, like, good luck, best wishes, and I'm going to ride it out here with my girlfriend, and how many times have we heard about, just in everyday life, people who are like, oh, our relationship would be amazing if it was just the two of us, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And that is a recipe for a toxic relationship because that's not how the world works. Right. Yeah, it was almost like they were on this deserted island that was just for them kind yeah, of thing. Exactly. Yeah, it was like their own little paradise. And th- I mean, there were other like storm holdouts, um, people that didn't evacuate. And they would kind of like have little block parties and people would come by and they'd make drinks and everybody would kind of share like, oh, I've got this kind of food. I've got this kind of food. I have I have water or whatever. They'd kind of all share. They would rescue stray cats. It was like they were camping out. Mm. And they were actually in New York Times. They there was a picture of Zach and Addie in New York Times because they had gone down to do I guess a story on storm holdout people and they were in it and they looked really happy. They're like dancing together and they were talking about how much fun they were having and like you know that they had fallen in love during this time and all these things and <laughs> Addie would um, in true New Orleans style, flash cops when they drove by so that she would ensure that they would continue to patrol their area. She wanted, like, enough cops to come by so she would show her boobs. I mean, that's one way to get the job done, I guess. I would, yeah. I mean, when in New Orleans. Right. What are you going to do? So um, they're having a great time, to sum up. <laughs> We're having fun. You look young. Yeah. Um, but their their mental states individually were continuing to deteriorate. Like, you know, Zach has all of his 
PTSD from the war. He's seeing dead bodies on the street. There's a lot going on there. Um, Addie now no longer has access to her lithium because she can't get her medication. Right. She's not going to a doctor regularly or even right. checking up yeah. periodically. They're not working right now. They're not bringing any money in. Um, they were continuing to drink and do other drugs, but she's not getting the medication she needs for her mental illness. And now they're self-medicating, both of them. Right. Zach's never had treatment for PTSD. So they're taking a precarious situation and really, really making it more precarious. Yeah. And during that time, so it's like they're having a good time. They're kind of living this um, off the grid almost kind of lifestyle in the middle of the city, which is, you know, kind of crazy. But it was like it was their city. Zach hasn't heard from his kids. He hasn't heard from his wife. I mean, wife in title. You know, they're not together anymore. And it they never got divorced. It just seemed like they both moved on and that part hadn't happened yet. I don't know. Um, but there's no reports that, like, Zach was worried about his family, that he ever asked how they were doing, that he ever made any attempts to contact them, like nothing they're just somewhere out there he doesn't even know if they've survived or anything and it's kind of just like whatever that's this is my new life now kind of thing um lana and the children had been staying in a shelter in new orleans and then they were evacuated to sugarland texas and lana thought zach had died in the storm because he stayed in the city and she hadn't heard from him and she tried to get in contact with him she tried to call him and send him messages and he'd never responded so she thought He's gone. He's died. Can you died. imagine, though, like, let's just say that that, I'm sure that that actually happened, but let's just say that she maybe, like, happened across that New York Times and be like, uh, squeeze me. Yeah. There's a lot of moments in her relationship with him that I could see her losing her shit and not blaming her one bit for it. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, oh, man. yeah, because after they got evacuated to Texas, Lana is struggling to make ends meet because she's got two kids to support. She's not getting any help. Yeah, he's just living his life, not a care in the world. Not a care in the world. Right. Yeah. And uh, dropping shrooms all over the place, probably. Oh, lots of shrooms, I'm sure. Yeah. And when they got back to New Orleans, when stuff started getting back to normal, they could go back to New Orleans. She found out Zach was alive. She was pissed. Oh, yeah, she was. And she was like, all right, Here comes Hurricane Lana. Exactly. Yeah. Because she's like, all right. You need to start paying child support. Like, where the fuck have you been? And you're going to have to start taking the kids at least once every two weeks. Well, and come on. I mean, the financial aspect aside, you don't give a shit about your kids. Like, yeah. you haven't even, it hasn't crossed your mind not one time. Are to they To check safe? on them? Yeah, yeah, exactly. People drown. People died. That's a horrific way to go. You're not going to wonder if your kids are safe. Yeah, it's. And he's not only not worried he's thriving yes yeah they seem to be this seems to be like almost an answered prayer like thank goodness i don't have to worry about that anymore it was that took care of itself yeah was it an obligation before i mean he he legitimately seemed to care because he worked really hard i mean i don't know maybe it was out of obligation but um i do wonder too if it was just that um disconnect once 
he changed once he came back and yeah the war really fucked him up yeah and it's just like he completely disconnected from everything Sad. yeah so zach was like all right fine i'll help he got a second job delivering groceries he was still bartending um Addie, though that wasn't her life those were not her kids she her friends said she wanted Zach, but she didn't want anything that came with Zach as far as like that domestic lifestyle. Zach was staying with her at her apartment, but on the weekends that he had the kids, she made him rent a hotel room. Oh, wow. she didn't want them in her house. She never wanted to meet Lana. She didn't want to deal with that. She would kind of lash out at him. Um, and th- this is a symptom of her mental illness, I'm sure, right. that completely lashing out. Like, they show... I don't know if this legitimately happened or if it was just a scene in the in the episode, but at one point, I think, when when Zach had the kids, he, he was, like, trying to call her, message her, whatever, and they showed her running her cell phone underwater so that he couldn't get in touch with her. Oh, wow. I don't know if that actually happened, but, they, but her friends said she would do kind of extreme things to not be part of that situation. The thing is, though, I mean, that's a big reaction to that, but it's not like she said, I'm all in, I'm ready for this, Mm -hmm. and then was like, no, 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 no. Like, from the get-go. And who's to say, I mean, given Zach's track record, who's to say that they've not now fallen in love and she's like, okay, I'm going to give this a go, and then after all of the storm stuff settles, he's like, oh, by the way, I have two kids. Right. Oh, by the way, I was married, you know? Right. Like, I I wouldn't put it past him to just maybe not have been up front with her about stuff. And she, Addie kept a journal. And I know that as much as Addie didn't let a lot of people in, Zach was kind of the same way. A lot of his friends didn't know a lot about his life. They didn't know a lot about his past. So that's another reason I wonder how much he told Addie, how much she knew when she was getting into, okay, I'm going to finally let my guard down. And then, and for somebody like Addie, who always has her guard up, if she finds out that you're hiding something from her, I mean, that's a huge betrayal to her. Well, and possibly because she might have been a little self-sabotaging too, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, But that could have been a reason for her to be like, oh, no, 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 and just pull away even further. Yeah. It's like... She might have been looking for something, you know. Right, yeah, exactly. If you own a car or a house, you know shopping for insurance is a mind-numbing, soul-sucking process that can take forever, which is why I usually ask my husband to do it. But you need to have insurance. It's sort of mandatory, but you don't have to overpay for it. You can get a lower rate for the exact same coverage you already have with help from Gabby.com. That's G-A-B-I.com. Gabby is the insurance shopping comparison engine. Gabby takes the pain out of shopping for insurance by giving you an apples to apples comparison of your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers like Progressive, Nationwide, and Travelers. So it's super easy. You just link your current insurance account and in about two minutes, you'll be able to see quotes for the exact same coverage you already have. And that's exactly what I did. I linked my auto policy account online with Gabby's system and within minutes, I was shown multiple quotes that will save me money and of course get me way more Starbucks. Just kidding. But seriously, could the process be any easier? 
Gabby customers save $825 per year on average. But here's the thing. If they can't find you savings like they did for me, they'll let you know so you can relax knowing that you've got the best rate out there. The fact that they'll let you know if you do have the best rate, I think is amazing. Gabby is free to use and they'll never sell your info, so no annoying spam or robocalls. Take two minutes right now to see how much you can save on your car and homeowner's insurance for free. Go to Gabby.com slash KQ. That's G-A-B-I dot com slash K-Q. Gabby dot com slash K-Q. By 2006, Zach's now delivering groceries. He's still bartending. And then Addie was bartending at a jazz club called The Spotted Cat. They were going on drinking and drug benders. Um, they got to the point where they were doing like $400 a week in cocaine. Um, Who can afford that? I know. I don't, I know. Um, Addie's violent moods were getting worse. She never got back on her lithium, from what I understand. Um, they're constantly breaking up and getting back together. They're having fights all the time. They're yelling at each other in public. There's just a lot of drama and... It's like a pressure cooker. Yes, it's getting really bad. And they were also getting into trouble during that time. So Addie got arrested after pulling a gun on a man in the French Quarter. Oh, my. Early in the morning. According to the police report, she pointed a blue steel handgun at the man and said, what the fuck is wrong with you? I don't know what, how she even came into contact with him. If it was like they were walking down the street, he looked at her, she pulled something out, or did he approach her? Like, I don't have that information, but. Yeah, she's got like a hair trigger temper. Yeah, it, yeah, it could be anything. The guy called the police. She ran off to her apartment. And they found her, so she had been wearing, when she pulled the gun on this guy, blue jeans and a t-shirt, but when they found her at her apartment, she changed into her nightgown. So I don't know if she was trying to pretend that she was asleep or whatever, but the guy identified her as the person who pulled a gun on him. And at the apartment, they found the gun that he described, and it was there, and a bag of what police believed to be marijuana and two pipes. and um. She was booked on charges of aggravated assault with a firearm, first offense, possession of marijuana, and possession of drug paraphernalia. Then about a month later, police were called back to that apartment, responding to a call about a disturbance. They found Zach on the stoop of the apartment, and when he saw the officers coming his way, he got up, dropped an object that turned out to be a clear bag of marijuana, and he tried to run away. So they booked him with first offense possession of marijuana as well. So they both got arrested within a month of each other. For the same thing, essentially. Yeah. And this is when they're doing all kinds of drugs. Like copious amounts of. Yes. And when you said, how can they afford that? During that time, Addie got evicted from the apartment she'd been living in. So I'm thinking that, rent. yeah, that there's some things going on there. They're falling behind on some stuff. Um, obviously Zach is probably not keeping up with child support very well, you know, all these things. And if you've got to rent a hotel every two weeks, I mean, that gets expensive too. Yeah, it does. Um, and they made it seem like the hotel that he rented was the Omni because he would go swim with his kids at that pool. And that's a nice hotel. Yeah, it is. It's not. They're your... not staying at a Motel 6 or whatever. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, all of that, all of that gets expensive. I mean, he was working a lot of jobs, but still. So. Even though they're, like, super on the rocks at this point, Addie gets evicted from her apartment. They decide to get an apartment together. 
And her friends were like, what is happening? Because they didn't really see Addie as the kind of person who would move in with somebody really anyway, because she just, she kept her guard up a lot. That's a huge way of letting somebody in. I mean, Zach was staying with her, but it still wasn't the same as like them being on a lease together. That's well, a yeah, huge I mean, step. You got a drawer in my dresser versus we're moving in together. We're going to share this lease. We're going to. Yeah, I can tell you to leave anytime I want. I can tell you not to come right. back anytime I want. And what are they going to do whenever they break up every 20 minutes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So everybody was really surprised that we're close to them. Like, I kind of can't believe they're going to get an apartment together. And this apartment was located at 826 Rampart Street, and it was right above the Voodoo Temple. Addie thought that a change of scenery could maybe salvage the relationship, but literally as soon as they rented this apartment, she changed her mind. She was like, this is not, this was a mistake. This is not a good idea. So the landlord that rented the apartment is Leo Watermeyer, and he said that when they came to rent the apartment, they appeared really happy. They were telling him they'd fallen in love the night Hurricane Katrina struck. They're, like, telling their story, and he's like, okay, these kids are happy. So that was, like, October the 1st, I think. Like, late September, 1st of October, they're moving in. October 5th, they are in a fight about whose name is going to be on the lease. So Addie went back to Watermeyer and was like, listen, I don't want his name on the lease. I want it to just be my name because I'm going to kick him out. He's been cheating on me. I'm not going to deal with it. I'm not going to put up with it. I need his name off the lease. And so Watermeyer was like, listen, go see if you can work it out. I'm not, because I don't know, like if they both sign the lease, I don't know if you can just take his name off of it without his permission anyway. But he, he was just like, why don't you guys try and work this out? Like, you just moved in. Could you imagine being the owner, you know, landlord or whatever and being like, oh, man, y'all don't don't come to me with this drama, like figure it out, you know, yeah. I'm just trying to rent my apartment out. Exactly. So he was like, you know, just really try and work it out. See what you can do about it. Like, let's see if we can make it work. And uh, he didn't see Addie again after that. So he thought they worked it out. Everything's fine. And And before, like right after that, Zach came to him and was like, did you just let her sign the lease alone? Because if you did, I'm totally screwed. Like, I'm I'm messed up now. She's trying to kick me out of the apartment. Like, what am I going to do now? And he was like, just try and work on it. See if you guys can work it out. And Zach was like, whatever. He was super pissed. And then Watermeyer doesn't see them again. He doesn't hear another word about this disagreement. So he thinks, all right, right they worked it out. Okay, you guys, Lola is back and we are so excited. Lola is a female-founded company offering a line of organic cotton tampons, pads, liners, and all-natural cleansing wipes. Unlike other major brands, Lola products are 100% natural and easy to feel good about. No BS, mystery fibers, or doubts about what's going into your body. Plus, Lola products come in a simple, customizable subscription. Lola will deliver exactly what you need, exactly when you need it. The FDA doesn't require brands to disclose a comprehensive list of ingredients in their feminine care products, so most of them don't. Why would they? Lola offers complete transparency about the ingredients found in their tampons, pads, liners, and wipes. And these days, you definitely want to know what is going into your body. Part of the reason Lola was founded was because the founders asked themselves, 
If we care about what we eat and what we're putting into our body that way, shouldn't we pay attention to what's going into our bodies through our feminine products? Not only do you get to feel better about using products with no added chemicals, fragrances, synthetics, or dyes, but it also makes your month a little easier. So your subscription is totally customizable. You can choose your mix of products, mix of absorbency, number of boxes, and frequency of delivery. And the subscription is super flexible. With Lola, you can change, skip, or cancel at any time. And Lola now offers cleansing wipes that are safe for use anywhere on the body. They are the first biodegradable, all-natural wipe of their kind, perfect for a midday refresh. They're individually packaged and perfect for on the go. You can just stick it right in your purse, use it whenever you need it. And the best part is they are gynecologist approved and hypoallergenic. I love the convenience of Lola. The products were delivered right to my door. The box was super discreet. There's no way that you would ever know what's inside. And it even had a cute little message in the box to help you get through the month. You guys will love it. For 30% off your first month subscription, visit mylola.com and enter Killer Queens when you subscribe. Again, that is mylola.com and enter Killer Queens when you subscribe for 30% off your first month subscription. But Watermeyer wasn't the only person not to see Addie again. So during that time, she mysteriously just like stopped coming to work. Never came to work again. She missed some shifts. People started calling around trying to check on her. And so when they got in touch with Zach, he was like, she left me. She went back home to North Carolina. She didn't want to be here anymore. I'm devastated. And Addie was such a free spirit that it's believable, right? It was believable. So they were like, you know, everybody knew they were on the rocks. Um, Addie had been telling people that he'd been cheating on her. And it turned out that Zach was cheating on her with a man that he knew that was a real estate agent. For Addie, for somebody who's very careful about not letting people in. Not trusting. Not trusting. And then they're going through stuff. She thinks, okay, let's get an apartment together. And then she finds out that he's been cheating on her. And she's like, you, probably how many other people know this? Like, you know, because I think she didn't want to be made to look like a fool of like, oh, I moved in with this guy and he's been cheating on me. And I'm sure she was mad at herself. Yeah. And also, Zach, just not a super upfront guy. Right. I mean... Again, his track record. Yeah, before you sign a lease with somebody, maybe be like, hey, I've been cheating on you. Right? I feel like you should know. Right. I've I've cut it off now or whatever. But like to sign a lease with somebody knowing that, I mean, she's that you're in an active relationship with somebody else. She's probably going to find out because it's like like they kept saying, you know, like New Orleans is a huge city. But where we were, everybody kind of knew everybody. We we all ran in the same crowds together and it felt like a small town. So like people knew that mm-hmm. it was happening. So, for two weeks after nobody saw Addie again, he, Zach just went on, like, a bender. He he did go to work some, but he ended up taking out all the money out of his bank account, $1,500 is what he had left, and he spent it on what he called good booze, good drugs, and good strippers. That was his main priority. Then we go, we come back full circle now, to October the 17th, 2006. Zach jumped off the rooftop of the Omni Hotel. The hotel video footage caught him. So he'd been partying. He'd gone out the night before partying with a friend 
And the guy said they had gone to strip clubs. They were drinking. They were doing drugs together. He said Zach seemed in a good mood. He seemed okay. Like, because he said he had called him to check on him. And Zach was like, dude, you're the only person that's called to check on me. Because he was like, I knew Addie had left him because he, you know, said that she left. And I thought, you must be devastated. Like, how are you doing? So Zach's like, man, you're the only person that's called to check on me. We're going out tonight. Like, let's go to the strip club. And um, so they go out together. And then he said when they were calling it a night or I guess morning by that point, um, Zach was like, all right, dude, well, see you later. I'm going on vacation. And he's like, all right, see you later. And then he goes up to this rooftop bar. He parties some more. The hotel surveillance camera catches him like finishing a drink off. He sets it down. He's looking over the rail and he just jumps. And he died on impact when he hit hit that that next level. And so when detectives arrived and they found that note in his pocket, it was so much more than just. And they didn't know at first, was it a suicide? You know, like it looked like a suicide, but could somebody have pushed him? You know, they weren't sure. Well, the note said this was not accidental, but it goes on to say I had to take my own life to pay for the life I took. Oh, wow. And then it went on to direct police to visit the apartment on Rampart Street where they would find his dismembered girlfriend's body parts in the kitchen. Oh. He says in the oven, the refrigerator, and on the stove. Oh, Um, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. I probably should have warned people. (laughs) Right? I'm sorry. This is if you are an OG fan or if you have reached out and tried to listen to the old episodes, which, by the way, we're sorry for the quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is very Omaima Nelson. Yes, it is. Yeah. So he said you'd find all of her body parts and a full written and signed confession. So when they walk into the apartment, there's beer cans and moving boxes everywhere. It was totally everything was in disarray. It was very dirty. And there were messages spray painted all over the walls. Uh, One said, call my wife. One says, I'm a total failure. One says, look in the oven. One says, I love her. One says, please help me stop the pain. He has spray painted. Poor Watermeyer. I mean, the damage he's got to clean up here, too. Um, Black spray paint all over the walls. There was also a spray painted arrow pointing toward the oven. All right. So this is terrifying. It's terrifying. So, guys, like, if you don't want to hear gory de- I mean I'm not gonna like go way too far but it gets gross it gets bad it's graphic yes graphic that's the word I was looking for um graphic so that's where detectives found Addie's burnt legs crammed into a disposable turkey basting pan are you serious like there were two pots on the stove on the front burner was Addie's head And it was burned beyond recognition, but they knew it was a human head. Oh, my gosh. Her feet and hands were on the stove in the on the back burner. And in the refrigerator, they found her torso in a garbage bag. They also found his written confession in Addie's journal scrawled across eight pages, providing a graphically detailed accounting of what happened. He started the note really formally with his full name, social security number and driver's license number, as well as his date of birth. Wow. He had it notarized and... Basically. It says, today is Monday, October 16th, 2 a.m. I killed her at 1 a.m. Thursday, October the 5th. I very calmly strangled her. 
it was very quick. So what detectives believe happened was this whole I'm kicking you out fight happened. And he just snapped and strangled her. And he says that it was her death was quick. I mean, I don't know. I guess he was in the military, so he had some combat training. I hope that that's true, that she that it wasn't this long, drawn-out process. Right, at the very least. Right, yeah, because you don't want her to suffer. But then after that, I mean, after that's a long, drawn-out process. So he said that he sexually violated her body several times after she was dead, and then he eventually passed out in a drunken stupor on the futon next to her corpse. So he slept next to her body all night. And then the next day he got up, he turned his thermostat to 60 degrees, and he went to work. And then, and that was on October the 5th. So he's contemplating, like, what's he going to do with the body? How's he going to get rid of her? All this stuff. According to his letter on October the 9th, he came home from work and started to dismember her body in the bathroom with a handsaw and a knife. Then he writes, halfway through the task, I stopped and thought about what I was doing. The decision to halt the first idea and move to plan B, the crime scene you're now in, came after a while. I scared myself not only by the action of calmly strangling the woman I've loved for one and a half years, but my entire lack of remorse. I've known forever how horrible a person I am, just ask anyone. Then he goes on to explain that his intention was to cook her body to ease the separation. I'm confused about how one would think that that would ease the... Well, he means the separation of her meat from her bones. Oh, okay. I thought I was thinking more emotionally, I guess. It's amazing how this man can go in and out of, like, lucid thought where he's very self-aware, but then also, like, what have I done? You mm-hmm. know? Like, that's... Yeah. Oh, and then being the like, break there. well, okay, I'm going to dismember her, but I need to dispose of her in multiple locations. That's still going to be hard, so I need to cook the body so that everything comes apart. That's disgusting. That's yeah. horrific. The fact that someone can have that kind of thought right yeah to have that kind of a thought process what the hell is wrong with you yeah he ended the letter with a list of his failures he says school jobs military marriage parenthood morals and love every last one of these i failed at hence the 28 cigarette burns 13 on each arm and two on his chest one for each year of my existence so when they found his body he had cigarette burns all over him he had 28 burns and he did that to signify each year that he existed and failed. Wow. Symbolism, man. Yeah. And uh, Lana received his cremated remains. Oh, my God. Poor children. Poor Lana. Oh, Mm -hmm. wow. Yeah. It took a turn that I don't think anybody was really ready for. And you, in that documentary... I, you don't hear from Addie's family. I've never, I have not come across any articles or anything where her family is involved. So I don't know if they just, you know, didn't want to talk to the media, which is totally fine, or if they had a relationship really. Like, I don't know what to say that was. Right. Addie and Zach were both super private. So there's a lot of stuff that a lot of people just don't know. Um, and it seems like, as far as family's concerned, they kind of lived this like nomadic lifestyle where they just separated themselves entirely. Yeah. Yeah, so it just, 
I mean, imagine just uh, her friends and everybody that knew her and loved her. It's like, even if you're like removed by decades, you th- that's got to shake you. Yes, in some way. absolutely. And it, it's like she finally let somebody in, and she was trying to work through him even cheating on her. Like, I think for obviously I didn't know her, but just the way that everybody talked about it, that's that seemed like something she wouldn't have normally done. But she obviously very much cared for him mm-hmm. and really wanted to make it work. So it just it's so sad. It is so sad. And I mean, I think it's just it's a combination of so many things. Untreated mental illness, undiagnosed mental illness, um, self-medication, um, abuse on both ends. They both from the way that people talked, they definitely got into a lot of fights. It seemed like there was more abuse before um, this incident on uh, Addie's part. Okay. Because she would get so angry when she would drink and she would lash out and stuff like that. And then he he murdered her. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's still, it's all domestic abuse. Um, it was a volatile relationship. It was, there were so many factors, I think that led to what happened and like you have to wonder what what could have been had they had access to mental health treatment had they had access to people who could have helped them get on a different path um had zach made some different decisions leading up to this you know just like if any it's like the butterfly effect i mean we'll never know but it's just there were so many things it was like it was like a perfect storm. Well, yeah, and there were so many crossroads that could have been yeah. handled differently. And, yeah, I mean, we'll never know, but yeah, it's very tragic. Yeah, and it seems like Zach was already, I mean, he was immature when he got married and he had kids and all that kind of stuff. And when he went into the Army, and I feel like when you go into the military, you either come out more grown up or you come out even worse than what you started. It seemed like his maturity level just stopped. And he just... He reacted to things in super unhealthy and immature ways. Like, he's mad at Addie for whatever it is. Like, in some reports I read that he cheated on her because he was tired of being in an abusive relationship. Like, that's not how you respond to that. I mean, they both needed help. Like, if you care about somebody, that's, you know, the route that you go. But Mm -hmm. that's not what happened. So it's just, it's sad. It is very sad. It's very sad. Um, Either way, Addie Hall was murdered by somebody she loved, and that's never okay. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic abuse, you can call the national hotline in the U.S. at 1-800-799-7233 or visit their website at thehotline.org. They have 24-7 online chat support. And, of course, special thanks again to Olivia for researching and writing the case. And then I will put that, uh, the final witness episode link in the description if you want to watch it. It was really good. And they've got other episodes, too. So I'm, I'm going to watch some of those because it was yeah, super they, well done. They sound super awesome. And you said you watched it on Vimeo. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Just yeah. online. So. Well, that was a really, really tough and important and intriguing all the things that case kind of covered. But thank you for listening, and hopefully we will catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye.